Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. If you are a Hamiltonian and have been for a few years now, and I mean, certainly this would be something that would be true if you've been here a long, long time, but even if you've only been in the city for five, six, seven, ten years, you are certainly familiar with the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. And for some people, I mean, you would have seen them around at various events, but for some people, that group, that, that regiment really became well-known, sadly, when Nathan Cirillo was killed. He was a member of that group, and we saw them leading his procession and then his funeral. When that happened, that exposed that group to a lot of people. Maybe if you went to see Paul McCartney play in Hamilton a few years ago, and he played Mull of Kintyre, and the pipes and drums came out to, maybe that's when you saw them. But it's impossible, I would think, for people in this city not to be familiar, not to know and recognize the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. Well, they have been around for 121 years. They have had 17 people serve as their honorary lieutenant colonel. And until now, that person has always had something in common. They've always been a man, not anymore. The Sutherland, uh, the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders now have for the first time a woman uh, who is serving as left, honorary lieutenant colonel, uh, Shendel Yelchin, who is now in that role. She joins us now. Congratulations. Thank you, Scott. I'm so excited. Well, it's, I mean, it is a very, I mean, if people are in, if you're into history, if you're into the history of the city and everything else, I mean, just to start there, it's a really cool thing to be at the front of something that is so historic in this area. It absolutely is, Scott. I am so excited to be part of such an amazing organization. And um, for me, it is all about the history. Of course, I I, I work at a uh, a club of 150 years, so history and heritage yeah. and um, tradition means a lot to me. And to be part of this such an amazing uh, regimental family, I I cannot express how honored and privileged I am. Are you? Have you been involved? Are you a military person? Have you been involved with the Argyles prior to this? Well, that's a very good question. Absolutely not. Um, for myself, uh, I come. I'm a civilian and. Um, it, it started with when uh, Colonel Ron Foxcroft uh, approached me and said, Shundal, you do so much in the community. Would you like to be part of the Argyle Senate? And I'm like, what in the world is that, Ron? Um, for me, it was I was so excited. And the reason for that is um, us Canadians don't really celebrate our veterans and our soldiers. And uh if we can build the awareness out in our community and what our our soldiers do do for our country and our community, I would love to be part of it. So for me, selfishly enough, it's it's an education and learning experience, but also to be part of such a an amazing organization. I'm I'm so proud. Okay, so you probably then asked the exact same question I'm about to ask you, which is as honorary lieutenant colonel, what exactly do you do? What is, what is your job? Yeah, that is a very good question. So my role as the Honorary Lieutenant Colonel is to build awareness out in our community, is to support our um, our soldiers, is to be able to recruit them uh, once they they want to move on. Um, our women in in military, our women Argyles, is, is pretty much there to support support them. And uh, yeah, my role as a civilian is to build the awareness 
and to help our soldiers uh, move on and, and uh, recruit, support, and also uh, be there for our women so- soldiers. There, there isn't enough of us, and if I can help bring the awareness and get them involved, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it is by the story, part of the story, because anytime somebody takes this position, we will hear about it because again, there's only been 17 over the years, but certainly in this case, it's unique because you are a woman. Is that, is that a part of the story that we, um, what do we do with that part of the story? I guess is where I'm coming. Do we make a big deal about it because it's new or do you look at it and say, no, I'm just a person who happens to be a woman in this role? How do you look at it? Yeah, um, and when I was asked if I would um, be considered, and that was my first question was, am I just there to check off a box because I am Mm. not interested? However, it is very, very important for us women to step into these roles um, to build that awareness. As much as everybody is focused on that, but what actually, for us, it's, it's, words they're just words but when you're living it and breathing it it's okay you know what we're not there yet and it doesn't mean people do it in in ways that they um they 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 don't mean to be like that but at the end of the day even in the military it's years and years and years and years of only men so how do we break those barriers down and we have a long way to go but i'm really proud to get it started and our women in our regiment, oh my gosh, I just get goosebumps when I see them. They are so passionate, and we just need to get the word out there. Uh, so you, not being a military person in the past, I, I'm looking at a picture right now uh, that was on the spec.com of you in front of Dundurn Castle in full regalia, in, in the full Arga. When you put on the military then uniform for the first time, is that a unique feeling? It is an experience that I cannot even describe. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And and the anxiety of putting on this uniform and making sure that it is perfect. Uh, yeah, that's, and, and, and having no control of what to wear as a woman, oh my goodness. So for, <laughs> for me, getting into, and especially with the Argyles, our uniforms are just spectacular. But when I put that uniform on, somehow, I don't know what happens, but I am so honored to be wearing that uniform that I just, I just cannot even describe it. It gives me the goosebumps from head to toe. And if I'm looking at this correctly, you are carrying a sword. You ever used a sword before? I, yeah, no, I've never (laughs) used a sword before, but boy, oh boy, having a sword and having, it is, it's like a a little child in a candy store right now with all the uniforms and all the little I, I don't even know the right words for everything, so I don't even want to start describing anything because I will get yelled at. <laughs> well, you know what? We have one of Canada's top uh, female fencers, Olympic fencers, is from Hamilton, Eleanor Harvey. We'll, ha- we'll have to get you over to have a lesson with her so you know how to handle that sword <laughs> in case you ever need to use it somehow. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> the sword is almost as tall as I am, so yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's, look, it's a wonderful story, and it's great that you're doing this and that you agreed to do it and that you are blazing a trail and that's uh, it's as i say it's a very cool story um honorary lieutenant colonel shendel yelchin by the way when someone first called you lieutenant colonel or colonel do you sort of go you mean me yeah no and and i have you know if they don't call me the honorary they'll say ma'am ma'am and i'm thinking oh my goodness so <laughs> oh yeah the traditions and the the um it's it's it 
it's going to take time, but I'm going to enjoy my role. People will certainly see you around, and uh, now they know who you are. Uh, Lieutenant, Honorary Lieutenant Colonel Shendel Yelchin, I uh, really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Earlier this week when we heard the federal government announced that electric vehicles were going to be the way of the future, that by 2035, all new vehicles in this country were going to be electric vehicles, there were a lot of questions that were raised. Now, whether this actually happens is, I think, very much in question because I suspect very highly that if the polls are correct and the Pierre Pauly of conservatives get into power, this will be one of the first things that gets axed. Nonetheless, if it were to go through, economically, how does this work in our country? And here, let me read something from the Globe and Mail that was uh, uh, this week was written in the Globe and Mail. You don't have to be an economist to predict the outcome. Waiting lists, shortages, and a black market for internal combustion engines. Is this something that would lead to prices going way up because people don't have a choice? Or is this something that would drive prices down because now there's going to be lots of electric vehicles in this market. Let's bring in someone we have not had on the show for far too long, but want to have him back on. Uh, he is a professor at the DeGroote School of Business. His name is Marvin Ryder. Sir, how are you? I am fine, thank you. And, and after we have this chat tonight, I may not be on for another several months. Oh, no, no, no. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, it was like, where's Marvin been? Uh, our fault. But no, this is this is a, um, Marvin, this is one that, uh, you know, I, with my rudimentary supply and demand economics understanding, I look and I think I could argue for both sides of this one, that there will not be choice and therefore we are mandated to take something which will make supply go down and demand go up and then prices go up. Or I could see all these cars being dumped in here because everyone has to buy an electric vehicle and that brings prices down. Which is it going to be? Well, um, the reason why I said you might not invite me back is uh, that on Tuesday when the government made this announcement, it didn't actually announce that we all have to buy an electric vehicle. What they said was that as of uh, 2035, all new cars and light-duty trucks in Canada needed to be zero-emission vehicles, zero-emission vehicles, and they are going to let the private sector determine what kinds of technologies they're going to use. Now, yes, you're absolutely right. For most people, you hear zero-emission vehicles, you think electric vehicles, but, for an example, hydrogen-powered vehicles would also uh-huh. fit into the zero-emission category. So really, rather than thinking of it in the positive, let's think about it in the negative. As of 2035, you won't be able to buy a brand-new, a brand-new internal combustion engine vehicle in Canada. Now, what's, what's this all going to mean? Well, today, uh, electric vehicles are about 10% of the marketplace, so 90% are internal combustion engines. And if you ask people why they aren't buying an EV today, they'll say, well, look at the prices, they're much more expensive. But that's also because they've got very small production runs. So if this is going to become the norm, and I'm not sure it is, I think there is a case to be made that in 12 years, hydrogen vehicles could be very popular, who knows. But if EVs are the way of the future and they become 100%, then with the massive increase in production and volumes, we should get economies of scale. The price should come down uh, and it should benefit us all. 
again, maybe think of it in a different way if I can, Scott. Over time, the government has mandated these things on other kinds of issues. For instance, they banned the use of DDT. They said, well, if you're going to go after those bugs, you have to use something else. Or we banned single-use plastics. Or we decided to standardize on a certain kind of a seatbelt safety technology rather than everyone doing something different. We standardized on the electrical grid as to what the voltages and the amperages were going to be and what have you. And generally speaking, there wasn't great big economic consequence, negative economic consequence. In fact, by having one standard applied to everybody, it brought uniformity and, generally speaking, less confusion to the marketplace. And I think where a lot of people begin, uh, where they probably are if they are concerned right now is the price of EVs. Now, we don't have a lot of hydrogen-powered cars yet, as you point, but we could. Uh, but the price of a new yep. EV these days is is not cheap. And I think when people look at, for example, at the grocery store, they see where the prices are and they realize, well, you know what? Prices could stabilize, but they're probably not going down. Right. And then people look at cars and go, yeah, but for 70000 or seventy five or 80000 just to get an average car, man, even in five or 10 years, that's going to be a lot of money for me to be able to afford that. Right. I hear what they're saying. And I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't disagree with you because today they are the exception rather than the rule. If I can get uh, longer production runs, I can bring the prices down. Here's another simple example. Uh, I don't know when you decided to jump into the computer age. I am old enough to remember when the first personal computers came to McMaster University in and around 1985. They were $3,500 a piece to buy that technology, and that was 3500 of 1985 dollars, not today's dollars. What does it cost to buy a computer today? Generally speaking, less than 1000 bucks. Well, what's happened? Well, again, as more people bought them and we standardized technology and then the R&D capabilities of the world came to bear, they brought the price point down. Phones, uh, you could make the argument, is the opposite, but that's because we haven't stopped innovating on the phones. I'm not sure I would call what you call a smartphone today a phone. It's almost anything but a phone. Right. It's an amusement device. It's a camera. It's a video-watching device. And as we've added those features, of course, the price of a phone has gone up to $1,200. But think of all the features. And this is kind of the issue we have with this announcement. We're trying to judge the effectiveness of the government's announcement in 2023, looking at 2023 technology. My argument on EVs, for example, is if all of the world's major car companies are going to move towards EVs over the next 12 years, and they all put the power of their research and development departments to bear on this. Just imagine what they can do. It, just, again, if you can think about it, it's the iPhone 14. Well, go back to iPhone number one. By today's standards, that's pretty poor. But that all happened over the last 14 years. Mm -hmm. If we're looking 12 years in the future, I don't know what the EV of 2035 is going to look like, but I'm pretty sure it's going to look different than the EV of 2023. I am so glad that you raised cell phones. Uh, I'm going to ask you about a different part of it, though, because it was actually it was something I was thinking of as you were answering. I expect that what you're saying is true, that when you have all these companies that want to bring their cars in, there's going to be competition because there's a lot, everyone's going to have to buy them, and so much competition brings prices down. That's typically how it works. However, across this country, because we have limited cell phone providers, we pay an extraordinarily high cell phone cost compared to other places in the world. 
in some people would say because we can't get American or other cell services, we have to buy the ones that are available in this country. And they have clearly chosen not to be in great competition with each other, with each other. They've found the mark that seems to be comfortable for everyone. And they're all hanging around there. We don't see anybody saying, you know what, Rogers is going to drop the price by 50% these days. They all have found their comfort, comfort zone and kept it. Why would that not be the case with cars? Well, uh, again, uh, not to get too uh, too uh, economical on you folks here, we call the car, the cell phone business an oligopoly, meaning that there's a small number of companies involved. You know, I can make the argument there are three, maybe four companies, providers, and, and that almost is a small enough number that they should be regulated to benefit consumers. For instance, with electricity, we only have one provider, and we regulate that to try to benefit consumers. But in the car industry, not only do you have all of the different car manufacturers, it's not the big three, because you've got to throw in Nissan and Honda and, and Toyota, and then you've got to throw in Mercedes and Porsche. And, you know, there are dozens of car companies. But for electric vehicles, we expect other companies to enter. Tesla wasn't around 10 years ago, and we suspect that people like uh, Apple and Google and possibly Facebook or Meta, they're all going to jump in with their own vehicles. So I actually expect the amount of competition to go up with this new technology. And again, why that's a little bit scary is if I'm one of those major automobile companies, I kind of know what I'm doing when I'm competing against Volkswagen or when I'm competing against Stellantis. But if I'm suddenly now competing against Apple or Google, ooh, new players, new ideas, who knows what's going to happen here. It would be almost as if, imagine that Google or Apple decide to launch a bank. I think if you're looking for some innovation among our big five national banks, let's see one of these other players get into the marketplace, Mm. and then let's see what happens. This is what's going to happen with EVs over the next 12 years. Okay, we've got to run, but does that mean that really what all we really need in this country is for one, if we're using the comparison of cell service and the the oligopoly, uh, if we have just one car manufacturer comes in and drives the prices down, everyone is going to be almost obliged to follow? I'm going to say yes. It's going to be a combination of prices and features and benefits, and then where the consumer dollars flow. If consumers want brand X, that's what we have. I'm old enough to remember that this is what happened when Volkswagen entered the market in the 60s with the bug. Suddenly, the major car companies who produce these big boats of cars, these big behemoth of cars, suddenly went, nobody wants a small car. Volkswagen proved them wrong, and they had to change their tail. This could happen over the next 12 years. Great hearing your voice back on the show. It's been too long. We will do it again very soon. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroot School of Business. Thank you for this. Glad to be with you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This is the time of year when we do all these year-end reviews and shows and papers and websites and TV stations and everyone else. They're all doing the year in review and what happened in the past year and all that kind of stuff. We haven't been doing that. I mean, we've been talking a little bit about what has happened over the past year, but not specifically. But, you know, there was one story that I just want to mention that is pretty remarkable, I think. And it involves a Hamilton person who, um, his name is Shea Gilgis Alexander. I hope you know who this guy is. I really hope you know who this guy is, even if you're not a diehard sports fan. And if you don't, I hope you will... Learn a little about who he is. Now, if you're a basketball fan of any sort, you're probably saying, well, who doesn't know this guy? 
he's a Hamilton guy, grew up here, went to uh, St. Thomas More, went to Sir Alan McNabb. Didn't make the junior team, didn't make, I mean, he didn't make his team in high school at first, but is now, plays for the Oklahoma Th- Oklahoma City Thunder, is now one of, and I, there is literally no exaggeration here, literally no exaggeration here. He is one of the top handful of best basketball players in the world. And last week, last week, week before, whenever it was, uh, he was named winner of the Northern Star Award, which you probably know better as the Lou Marsh Award. They've changed the name of that one. No one knows what the Northern Star Award is yet. hasn't really caught on. But uh, he is Canada's Athlete of the Year, male or female, pro or amateur, Hamilton guy, and is the first time since 1969 that someone from Hamilton has won this award. I mean, it is the prestigious sports award in this country. More than, I mean, the Canadian Press Athlete of the Year is wonderful. This one is generally considered the one. If you win this, you are the Athlete of the Year. And he was named this um, last week. And it is remarkable to me that a guy from here kind of still in a lot of ways slides through, slides by, and isn't as, um, as known as I think it, we would expect, as, as I would expect anyway. I, I, I would suggest that Shea Gilgis Alexander, despite the fact that he's like six foot six, so that, that kind of helps, but he could probably walk around town and not be all that recognized in this city. And yet you go elsewhere in the world and he is as big a star as there is. He's now, I believe he's fourth in scoring in the NBA. Last year he finished, I think, fifth in MVP voting. He'll be higher than that this year. Rick Zamperin, who um, does the morning show here, but he's also like Mr. Sports at the station here, joins me now. Rick, how are you today? Hey, Scott, I'm good. How are you? I am good. So would you, what what percentage of Hamiltonians do you think honestly would know Shea Gilgis Alexander if they bumped into him on the street? Ooh, that's a good one. I would say not a whole heck of a lot. Now, they would probably know he was an athlete because he's, you know, like nine feet tall um, (laughs) and, you know, athletic looking. Uh, but they may make an assumption that he plays for the Ticats, you know, one of those tall, lanky receivers. But I would say, I don't know, 15%? Yeah, I, I, it's amazing to me that I don't, I would argue, and I did argue this in the paper uh, today, I don't know that we've honestly ever in this city produced an athlete who is more famous elsewhere in the world than Shea Gilgis Alexander is. And if, the, and if we have, I'd like to know who that would be. Yeah, I don't, even, I don't even think it's even close. I mean, you can name, you know, rattle off a bunch of hockey stars yep. globally, you know. Hockey's know. not necessarily, yeah, hockey's not global. I mean, it's a global sport, but not truly global because all those warm weather countries don't have it. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that NBA basketball is huge in Africa. It's big in South America. It's obviously big in Europe, even China. So they would, they, you know, the, the hardcore basketball fan would know Shea Gildas Alexander. They wouldn't necessarily know who Dave Andrichuk was. No. 
right? So yeah, as great I, as I'm, he I'm was, with you on that one. yeah, no, I, it is amazing to me, and I and I would, I'm hoping that with him now winning this Northern Star Award, and I'm sure he'll be the Golden Horseshoe Athlete of the Year, and he'll probably be this Canadian Press Male Athlete of the Year. Although, you know, it's a, here's here's how great a year Shea Gildas Alexander had. Nick Taylor won the Canadian Open for the first time in whatever it was, 190 years, as a Canadian to win it. And he was topped by Shea Gildas in this voting. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Now, for the, yeah, Nick Taylor, you know, the first Canadian since 54 to win it. The first Canadian-born player to win the Canadian Open since 1914 and did it in the most amazing way. But still, when you talk about, you know, best athlete, you know, I I wouldn't doubt that Shea could probably play some golf, maybe not as well as Nick Taylor. Uh, And I'm not sure Nick Taylor can play basketball as well as SGA. So I'd give it to Gildas Alexander, to be honest. Uh, yeah, and I, I, you're right. I bet you you could probably put him on a soccer field or on a, certainly on a volleyball. You could put him a lot of places. And yeah. um, All right, let me move to something else here because this is the other thing that um, um, you and I were talking on your show the other day about looking at the year in review. And one of the, and it's unfortunate, but one of the truisms of 2023 in Hamilton sports is um, other than Forge winning, uh, it wasn't exactly a banner year. Um, tie cats were disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, bulldogs left Leafs and we're counting, so, you know, this area who the f- Leafs, another failure in the playoffs. Although they finally won around blue Jays, uh, probably should have been better if they hadn't pulled their best pitcher at a stupid time in the playoffs and hurt themselves. B- Buffalo bills, um, you know, which count, I mean, not, didn't do it again. So here's the question of those four teams of the bills. Leafs, Jays, or Ticats? Who, because they all are in long, long, long championship droughts. Who is going to win the first championship? <laughs> oh, geez. Bills, Leafs, Ticats, and what was the other one? Or Jays. Or Jays. And the thing is, they're all competitive. Like, that's the thing about this that yeah. makes it so frustrating for everyone. They're competitive, and yet they consistently fall apart. Who do you think, though, can put it together and will be the first one to hoist the trophy? Yeah, they've all made the playoffs a bunch of seasons in a row for the last few seasons. Let's discount the Maple Leafs because we all know it's you know, 9,000 years and counting. Uh, I'd love to see it, but I just don't see it happening. There's so many strong teams in the East and the West, and I'm not sold on their defense or goaltending. Um, so let's take them out of the equation. Uh, the Blue Jays, uh, you know, I, I, I truly like their pitching. They do have some good players. I just don't think they have the team to do it. You know, it's a 162-game grind. Uh, Then comes the playoffs. There's more teams in the playoffs now in baseball. And unless they, I think, really improve not only their batting order, but their defense as well, um, I just can't see them being that team. So now we're left with the Ticats and the Bills. Jeez, you know, the Bills have never won a championship, so that would be a first for them. But listen, they have, you know, they have the tools. The only difficulty this year for them, uh, apart from their great showing against Dallas on the weekend, is that defensively they have so many injuries. And, you know, if their offense is clicking, great. But, I mean, come playoff time, they're probably going to be on the road unless, you know, they really and truly make my hot take from earlier this weekend, win the AFC East, and at least host a couple of home playoff games. I, I, I'm not sold on what the Bills are bringing to the table, especially defensively. And I think there's too many other good teams out there. Baltimore, you could probably throw in KC, especially if they're playing at home. 
You know, Miami's had a pretty good season, although if they're on the road, they're not going anywhere. You know, and then you go to the NFC with the 49ers and the Eagles, and you know the list goes on and on. So I guess I'm stuck with the Ticats. You know, it's a nine-team league. By default, they have the best chance to win. So why not? Yeah, well, look, I, it, I was going to say that a lot of people will be happy with that. There's, a, I mean, a lot of people would like all of those teams to win. I don't know that, honestly, there is a region of North America. We'll, we'll limit it. And maybe you can do the world, but limit it to North America. Is there a fan base anywhere in North America that has been kicked in the nether regions <laughs> more often than those in southern Ontario? Well, especially if you put the Bills in the equation and, and the Sabres in the equation, absolutely. You know, here's teams who have gone to the final and have never won. Uh, you know, the Jays haven't won since 93, the Leafs 67, the Ticats 99. Uh, yeah, it's been a tough haul. You know, you think of the major centers around North America, the, the New Yorks of the world, the Chicagos, the L.A.s, even, you know, the Texas or the Florida region, they have... They have either done really well, made it to the finals, or you know have won some championships in some regard. Uh, this neck of the woods, not so much. I mean, Boston. Boston goes six months without a championship, and it's a disaster. Yeah, they're calling it a national summit on what's going on with Boston <laughs> Athletics. But I mean, think about it. you've got so the the Leafs' longest drought in the National Hockey League, Ticats' longest drought in the CFL, mm-hmm. Bills, as you say, never won a championship, Jays. We're into now decade four. We're working on decade four of this one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, thank goodness the Raptors won that championship, or truly uh, there would be, I think, people who legitimately would have cause to say that somebody has offended some deity and we, and we are cursed. Because there's, <laughs> well, I mean, it would be, uh, there'd be no other explanation. Yeah, and that's I, I know we got the Leafs in the equation, but the other hockey team being the Sabers, you know, they haven't been. I think they have the longest active playoff drought in the National Hockey League. Yes, uh, the Bills had at one point the longest active yep. drought in the NFL, and the Sabers have been to a one cup final. They didn't win, and um, well, Sabers yeah. have been to a few cup finals, but they lost to the Flyers in '74. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And then they lost uh, to the toe in the crease yeah, in 98 yeah. or 99, whatever that, I mean, it's, yeah, it, I mean, it is a cursed, cursed, cursed region. And so anyway, may, who knows? So Rick, Rick, we're going to put you down for, uh, the, you're going to go on the board here. Ticats are guaranteed to win a championship this year, Rick said. Was that, that was what you, you said, 20, right? 2024, 2024. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, last thing, the uh, World Juniors is about to start. Uh, mm-hmm. Boxing Day, as always, it gets going. Do you still have the same level of excitement about the World Juniors that it seemed everybody did 10 or 12 years ago, or have we lost a little of that juice about this tournament? The, the pinnacle of my interest in the World Juniors came, and I think most uh, males in this category would probably agree, would be in the late teen, early 20-year-old stage. And we're talking 20 years ago for me. Um, that was probably the, the height of the, the pandemonium, the fandom that I had for the World Juniors. But, I mean, that was a stretch of, you know, 10, 15 years of I must watch every second of it. Yes. And you know, I still kind of feel that, but it was, you know, I must watch every second of every other game as well to see you know, who's doing what. I am still very much interested. I watch all the games, but it's not, 
I think when you're a teenager, especially, you almost live and die with every team that you have. And I think as you grow older, you realize, yeah, there's another season or there's another you know tournament coming up. Um, I, I think they have a great team. I think they'll you know do well. They, they certainly should medal. The expectation is always to win gold, but the interest level, and I don't necessarily think it's because of the scandals. It's just you know as you grow older, you get a lot more interest in life, and you know uh, other teams, other players, other sports have kind of filled that pie. Yeah, and the reason I ask the question is because you may or may not remember this. It was whatever year John Tavares was on the World Junior Team, and so mm-hmm. that's now you're going back 12, 13 years. Yeah. Uh, they had a pre-tournament game at Cops Coliseum. It was then yeah. Cops Coliseum, and it was, you could not get a ticket. It was jammed to the rafters. If people remember, he scored one of the all-time yes. coolest goals ever, like juggling the puck beside the net and then batting it in out of the air. Um, but that place was jammed. You could not get a seat. And I look at this now and I think if you brought a pre-tournament game back to First Ontario Centre today, would you sell out? And I'm not convinced you would. I didn't think you'd sell out the lower bowl, to be honest. So why? What, what has, so your, your argument, and I think you're correct about, you know, we all care more when we're younger, when we're more in that, mm-hmm. you know, but this is beyond that because this suggests something has changed. Is it that it was overkill that we had it too many times in this area and we grew just kind of bored of it? Is it the fact that we don't win all the time now? Is there something else that we don't, that we have other interests or there's more things to watch? I I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think it's all of that. I think it's the accessibility of watching the tournament as well. You can watch it at home. You can watch it on your phone. You can watch clips and highlights on social media. You can you know, see the full wrap, uh, you know, later on in the, the television sportscast, or you can check out all the highlights you want on YouTube. There's so many ways to watch and listen and read things now that you don't necessarily have to be there. And I think back in the day, quote unquote, being there and, and feeling the buzz, and it's still a tremendous feeling when you're in a live sporting event, whether it's an arena or a ballpark, whatever the case is, there's nothing like it especially when it comes down to a championship. But you know, this was a pre-tournament game and it was selling out. Uh, I don't think that would ever happen again, to be honest. So yeah, I think all those factors kind of play into that. Starts on the 26th. I mean, we are still interested, just I think it may be a little bit different uh, these days. Rick Zamper, we uh, always appreciate you jumping on and uh, people can tune in 5.30 tomorrow morning with their coffee that hopefully is better than what I've been drinking today. So uh, <laughs> appreciate you doing this, Rick. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time. You got it. Anytime. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.